What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. My name is Dan Favalli, coming at you, as always, with my super-duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario. We're sworn in as a lawyer, and we have not done this long-winded introduction since co-host Andrew D. Bailey. Before we get started, uh, just want to remind... Beg, implore, plead with everyone to continue rating and reviewing us on iTunes. You can also find us and subscribe to us wherever else you get your podcasts, including Spotify now. So if you do not use iTunes, be sure to do that. But rating us on iTunes is still the best way to let us know that you're out there and that you are listening and enjoying what you're hearing at least 12. Lowe's knows you'll do it right and do it yourself to make refreshing changes to your kitchen and bath. We do it right, too, with up to 40% off select kitchen and bath essentials during the final days of our Refresh for Less kitchen and bath event. That's up to 40% off faucets, vanities, shower heads, and more. For kitchen and bath updates that keep you within budget, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 3-6. See store for details, U.S. only. 12% of the time. So take the 10 to 15 seconds out of your day, search Hardwood Knox on iTunes, throw us that five-star rating, throw us a review, get the word out there, steal people's phones, maybe just recommend us, um, and we will forever be appreciative, as we already are. But we'll be even more eternally grateful, as if that is possible. Before we dive into our two remaining teams uh, on their season preview train, the Raptors and Sixers, along with some awards picks, we have to ask, Andy, how are you doing? Especially knowing that we haven't done that long-winded intro in forever. I'm doing great. And I actually thought uh, it might have been right after the last time we recorded about how the intro might just be gone. I don't know what happened. I I guess I forgot about it. So I have have no idea. It was a bittersweet realization, but I'm uh, obviously very excited to have it back. I'm doing good. I'm, I'm ready to talk about these two teams that we didn't quite uh, get to last time. Yes, we, uh, they are the Philadelphia 76ers and Toronto Raptors, and I will let you decide. Where would you like to start? Ooh. Uh, let's just keep going alphabetically. I'm going to go with the Philadelphia 76ers. All right. So the Philadelphia 76ers last year, 52-30, and 30. Uh, They ranked ninth in offensive efficiency, according to Cleaning the Glass, third in defensive efficiency, and their net rating, plus 5.2 points per 100 possessions, ranked fourth. Um, What was their best offseason move? This was an interesting, um, or maybe not interesting. (laughs) It was was an interesting pick. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, (laughs) I went with... (laughs) I went with Wilson Chandler just because there wasn't 
there wasn't a ton of real splashy moves made by this team. And I, I think Wilson Chandler, once he gets healthy, will actually be a pretty good bench piece for them. Um, he had a minus 0.9 box plus minus last season, which isn't great, uh, but it's above replacement level. And it's about where Bellinelli was as a sixer. Bellinelli's uh, 76er box plus minus last year was minus 0.8. So you're getting like a similar level impact type player, uh, theoretically, but he's just a lot bigger and rangier than Marco Bellinelli. I, th- I certainly think he has a higher defensive ceiling than Bellinelli. He can play a little three and four. Um, so maybe you can do some more positionless stuff with him than you could with Bellinelli. Uh, he's not, I don't think he changes the ceiling of this team that much, but I, I do think there's still something left in the tank with Wilson Chandler. And I think he could be a pretty solid bench piece for them. And you get him for nothing. So that's, yeah, that that's solid in itself. I'm I, he would be the pick as well, because like you said, they really didn't do anything major, but I'm going to just step outside the box a little bit with it and say, I'm impressed um, and like that they didn't really just try to double down and triple down on having their cap space or having their trade assets. They didn't go out there and overpay for a Kawhi Leonard trade, though that would still be up for debate whether you think they should have been more all in on that. They've yet to really engage on the Jimmy Butler front per multiple reports, and they didn't throw their cap space at just anyone. And would it have been nice to maybe see them try and get a one-year deal with someone like Tyreek Evans? Sure, but were the Pacers offering more money or they the, the Sixers had the cap space to, let's say, overpay a Will Barton more than the Nuggets might have been willing to pay him when they were worried about the luxury tax or, or getting under it earlier in the offseason? And so just because you have cap space doesn't need, mean you need to burn it. And they're still set up for cap space in 2019, which perhaps makes this an easier decision. But I do think there's always that sort of push and pull to do something when you're dealing with major flexibility. And the fact that they didn't really give into it or give out a bad deal is is something that I like. And it even comes back to the Bielitsa thing. If they were offering multi a multi-year deal, maybe he doesn't leave to go to the Kings, but they weren't because they want to preserve their flexibility, and they have. And I, and I like that about them. They've shown maybe they've gone one too far, putting Markel Fultz in the starting line to start the season, but I'm, I'm impressed with how forward – thinking not worried necessarily about just this season but playing the long game um so that that forethought that Brett Brown and his staff have had especially because he spent so long or so much of the offseason in that executive role yeah I think that's the right way to go for them too because they're so well set up with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons I, I think the right play is to build around them maintain flexibility until you can make just a surefire sort of strike and um, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I think that's a really smart approach that they've taken. They'll probably, they'll, they will have to show more urgency next year unless they're going to let, I mean, even if they are going to let Ben Simmons leak into restricted free agency, his cap hole is just going to be through the roof. And so this might be the summer for them to really get something done, but still it's, it was, it was nice forward thinking off season in, in that regard for them what was their biggest loss or worst off season move or something they didn't do that you would have liked to have seen them do i'm gonna go with the joint loss of bellinelli and Ilyasova. um they both came over mid-season last year and i think it coincides pretty closely with that tear that they went on down the stretch that got them to the uh 50 win mark and they were just a huge tandem off the bench. They played 323 minutes together 
in the regular season, and Philadelphia outscored opponents by 5.3 points, or 15.3 points, sorry, uh, per 100 possessions in those minutes. Huge net rating, obviously. And then it didn't stop there. In the postseason, they played 161 minutes together, and the Sixers were plus 12.8 points per 100 possessions in those minutes. So um, they were killing teams when those guys were on the floor. I think that's another reason that's going to be a loss is because both of those guys can shoot. And I was going to mention this uh, somewhere later, but facing could get a little bit weird with this team, especially like you said, they've put Markel Fultz in the starting lineup. And I think the jury is still out on his shooting. Um, I think he shot something like 20% from three in the preseason, which is obviously on a very, very limited number of attempts. But if you've got Fultz, Simmons, uh, Embiid, who will at least shoot, he just doesn't shoot it effectively. At least he didn't last year from three. Um, you could you could run into some spacing issues, and those guys off the bench were great for providing spacing. Bellinelli and Ilyasova. So, not having that punch off the bench. I know I said that that Wilson Chandler could probably replace some of that, but that was a really really good duo for them last year. And and it's they needed it. And I would go with the same picks. I might have declared Ursan Ilyasova just a little bit more important because of what he does for their front court, particularly if you ever do want to play with Ben, if you want to count, but in certain lineups where if you want to put really over at the five and Ben Simmons is still your point guard, but he's actually your power forward. Um, just looking at the, the height scenarios and the defensive assignments on those on certain possessions, but the benches, I don't, I was interested to see when I thought Markel Fultz was going to kind of be leading it. I was interested to see how it was going to fare. And now I have, I just have no idea what's going to happen. Brett Brown has talked about using, a different starting lineup to start the second half, which I've never even heard of before. At least not. You've seen teams roll out different lineups because someone's playing poorly or because someone was injured, but on purpose and regularly is not something that I can remember happening. I don't know what to make of the Sixers bench now as a result of Bellinelli and Ilyasova leaving, but I, I will say this. you Their ranks in some of these key categories before uh, February's all-Star game were atrocious. The bench, this is all bench stats, ranked before their All-Star break, 30th in catch-and-shoot effective field goal percentage, um, third in effective field goal percentage on pull-up jumpers, which I was impressed by. TJ McConnell was was pretty hot from there during that time, but the rest of the numbers I'm giving you are terrible. 23rd in field goal percentage on drives, 20th in effective field goal percentage on wide-open shots, 17th in percentage of shot attempts that went uncontested and dead last in points scored per 100 possessions. And Bellinelli and Ernelius Over were a big part of bringing some of those numbers up. And when you look at kind of the their efficiency on pull-up jumpers, their ability to create wide-open shots, who right now outside from TJ McConnell is going to do that? It was a question mark uh, when Markel Fultz was thought to be leading the second unit. And they'll still do... Uh, Brett Brown does some drastic staggering, so I'm sure Fultz will see time with the second unit or we'll see very few lineups that don't have two of the starters in it. Maybe Dario Saric gets a little bit more me time away from Ben Simmons and or Joel Embiid. There there are things they can do, and they're definitely talented enough at the top, but depth, like you said, is kind of weird for this team. And, And the spacing, as you said, could be too, which is if this team goes belly up, and I don't mean wins only 35 games, but if they're not the team, that third best, fourth best team in the East that everyone thinks they're going to be, 
I would have to imagine that depth and offense are, are the are the primary reasons why. Yeah, and maybe Brett Brown is thinking that JJ Redick can replicate what Bellinelli did off the bench, and and that's part of why he moved him there. And maybe Wilson Chandler can give you some four minutes like Ilyasova did, although I don't think you can play Chandler up at the five um, like you occasionally could with Ilyasova. But, yeah, I'm just repeating it again that there will be some issues <laughs> with the bench, and all those numbers you cited are, are really good to back that up. J.J. Redick in the 95th percentile of shooting efficiency out of the pick and roll last year. Maybe we'll get to see more of that with him playing in the second unit. Yeah, that would be interesting if he was more of a playmaker. I did, yeah, that would be very interesting. Most likely breakout player on this team. I'm going to go with Markel Fultz. Um, it was a little surprising when I saw that he was starting over J.J. Redick in the first game of the preseason. Um, but he did average in those. I think he, I don't remember if he appeared in four or five games, but 13.2 points, 4.8 rebounds, 3.7 assists. 1.9 steals and one and a half blocks per 75 team possessions. I know that's your new favorite stat that I use. Um, <laughs> just a well-rounded stat line. Um, 13, 5, 4, 2, and 2, basically. That's kind of what we were expecting from Fultz coming out of Washington, a guard who can block shots. He gets some steals. He creates a little bit. Um, he just he just kind of fills the box score all over the box, all over the box score. <laughs> there is... Some cause for concern still with his shot. Like I mentioned earlier, he actually took more shots. He's 37 um, than points he scored, which was 36. So efficiency could still be a ways away, but he's doing a lot of little things beyond scoring. Um, and I think if he, if he figures out the shot at least to like a league average or slightly below league average level, I think he's going to have a pretty solid season. Yeah, I don't even really have anything to add to that aside from – we could also really see him make an impact on the defensive end this year. He's just, he's super long, and the prospect of him playing with Covington and Bede and, and Simmons at the same time, um, that opening lineup is, is really going to have just some length and, and some switchability, not across all five positions, but when you look specifically at the front court and the back court and the wing spots, they're just going to have a couple guys who can switch on to all these different players and I'm very interested to see how that works out and also just because the Sixers broke up essentially the best five-man lineup in the league last yeah. year at least in when you're looking at volume and so uh, I, I, that doesn't really work in the the favor of Markel Fultz if I'm not sure how that's going to fare but if he can make an impact on the defensive end that might just make the transition a little bit easier really help Brett Brown kind of hammer out some concrete rotations and if you get anything from him on the offensive end with some semblance of confidence where he's going to shoot near the league average uh, from three or he's going to be in really attack mode and finish well around the rim. Uh, I will say this, though, and I, I do think Joel Embiid can't really break out at this point. Ben Simmons is I don't really know what he is. Is he what's the Donovan Mitchell train saying? Is he like a 50 year player? Really? Ben Simmons? What's the theory? <laughs> but I think that. Ben Simmons and or Joel Embiid are very, one of them at least is very firmly going to finish 2018-2019 as a top 10 player. And whether that constitutes a breakout or not, I thought was worth noting. Yeah, I think most people will look at Joel Embiid as a top 10 player. And I think it that's that'll probably be warranted. But to me, Ben Simmons is 
um, the more likely one to be a top 10 player in my mind. I think he could average. I mean, this isn't going to be that much of a stretch because his his rookie numbers weren't far off this, but he could be at like 28 and eight this year, which is just ridiculous to think about. Um, I, I actually gave him some consideration as the breakout guy as well. He's uh, just a ridiculous <laughs> defender and passer. And um, I just went with Fultz because it's more of a from zero to hero type of a pick. No, I, I agree with you. I agree with you there. Who's the most likely player to be traded from this team? This wasn't a super easy one for me either. Um, I just, I put Jared Bayless with a question mark. <laughs> and then uh, maybe just the fact that he's an expiring contract. So maybe it's something that you could pair with some collection of younger guys and smaller contracts to get a bigger uh, name player in there. And I think I'm going to do something similar with the, uh, Raptors as well, but it's just it's his expiring contract that I think is is probably most appealing. I could probably make the same argument for Wilson Chandler, even though I just talked about him as their best addition. He's another guy that's on an expiring contract and could be good to match with smaller deals if you're trying to match salary. Um, Reddick too. I, there's some interesting possibilities there. I think of those three, Reddick's probably the least likely, but um, I'm just going to go with Jared Bayless. Yeah, and they don't have to. You know, it's not like Mike Muscala is cheaper, but you don't have to wait to move him. And uh, Bayless is interesting because he's kind of, you can move him in more scenarios if some team's looking to cut salary and you're not as worried about eating into your 2019 cap space. His expiring contract is all of a sudden just this asset if you're willing to pair it with a pick. If we're talking, if we're sitting here and we're going to say the Sixers are going to make a high impact move before the trade deadline, then you're probably looking at a Covington or a Saric is just the most likely player to be traded because they're the nice centerpiece for any particular deal. But I don't know that this team is going to go that route when you look at what's kind of happened since the end of last year, whether it was trading away Mikael Bridges to get Zaire Smith um, and that 2021 first-round pick, which was another move that uh, was definitely forward-thinking about the future. So I, I agree with you on the pick with Bayless. I don't think this team is particularly likely to make any major shakeup. If they weren't going to get in on the Kawhi Leonard festivities um, or all-in on them over the offseason, I don't know which player uh, is really going to catch their eye right now. Of course, the season develops, you never know. And who knows? Also, maybe Kawhi Leonard ends up back on the trade block if he tells Toronto he doesn't want to resign there. Yeah, that would be interesting if he got. <laughs> I'm here for the again. chaos. I think. Yeah. I both think it's. I know Toronto fans get mad when people say this, but I, I do think the Raptors, this isn't what they get mad at. I think they have a better shot at keeping him than people initially gave them. However, it would not surprise me if there were just rumblings or he made it clear that he still wasn't going to stay by midseason. And Masai Ujiri is just like, well, we're going to see what we can get anything for this guy because we know he's not coming back. At the same time, maybe they'll. They might just let it ride out because they acquired him probably with the intention of losing him and might see that extra half season as still a nice uh, length of time to turn him if he hasn't already. But I think I think that could become an issue, as happy as Leonard seems there now. But we are not talking about the Raptors. We're talking about the Sixers. Will they have a better defense or offense? I went with defense. Uh, they were better defensively. Last season, they lost those two big offensive boosts off the bench, like I mentioned in, in Bellinelli and Ilyasova. I also mentioned the spacing. Uh, 
could be a potential problem for the offense. But on more of a positive note, you mentioned this already. Uh, they have some. They have a pretty high defensive ceiling. Uh, ben Simmons is a nightmare for opposing point guards to try and go up against because he's just so long. Uh, he can move side to side with just about any point guard. Then there's Markel Fultz, who came into the NBA with a great profile in terms of steal and block percentage, and he showed a little bit of that in the preseason. Everybody knows the kind of defender Covington is. And then Joel Embiid is like a defensive player of the year contender uh, anchoring it all. So they have a very, very strong defensive core there and I think they're going to be one of the better defenses in the NBA I think that's the right pick as well we're not really disagreeing on this preview at all which is disgusting no. I, I want to see if we're going to get to a bunch of particularly now that Ilyasova is gone and, and maybe you don't because that's how you sort of view Muscala but I want to see if we get to more Ben Simmons at the five lineups just because Muscala is not going to be that guy uh, with Ilyasova's switchability uh, and he doesn't really even have Ilyasova's like jump shot resume and nor does Ben Simmons I'm saying but to put Ben Simmons at the five when it beats on the bench and just surround him with I mean maybe it's Covington and Fultz and uh maybe McConnell and Sartre like Derek or Chandler throw in there they can make a lot of interesting defensive combinations and I'm wondering if anything good comes from Ilyasova uh, leaving it could be that we get to more of Ben Simmons at the five in, in Philadelphia Simmons at the five would be amazing. I'm I am all here for that. Playoffs are not for this team. That is an absolute yes. What is their I, yes for me as well? Obviously, what is their ceiling to you? Looking at wins or where they'll finish in the conference and fall out of the playoffs? I think they could get to mid fifties. Um, so a four or five win improvement potentially on last season. And then I, I would not be shocked to see them in the Eastern Conference Finals. They're one of, I'd say, four teams that I think have a realistic shot at representing. Did I say Eastern Conference Finals? I meant NBA Finals. They're one of four teams I think have a realistic shot of getting all the way to the NBA Finals. I'm mostly with you. I think I'm putting their ceiling at the Eastern Conference Finals. I don't think they're – we both had them – third in the East when we did our over-unders. I might be inclined to put them behind the Bucks at this point. I'm just, I'm not sure. I've For some reason, I've soured on them. Maybe I'm too worried about Markel Fultz. I definitely could see them making it to the Eastern Conference Finals. I just, when you look at what Toronto and, and Boston have and maybe even Milwaukee, I'm not sure that the, the Sixers are there yet. They might be another year away from being in that Boston Celtics conversation at least. And and again, if Ben Simmons isn't going to expand his range, he becomes quote-unquote solvable for certain defenses. And when you look at uh, the way Toronto should be able to defend, the way Boston can defend, uh, it, it could be a little bit of an issue there. But I'm, I'm with you otherwise. Mid-50s, and they definitely do have a shot at reaching the Eastern Conference Finals. Um. That would bring us to the Toronto Raptors, who did nothing this offseason, didn't trade for anyone important. Last year, they finished 59-23, and 23, their vitals per cleaning the glass, third in offensive rating, fifth in defensive rating, second in net rating at plus 7.9. What was their best move of the offseason, Andy? Hmm, I had to think long and hard about this one. Um, I'm going to rattle off some Kawhi Leonard Career Greg Monroe. Oh wow, that was 
I kind of like the Greg Monroe deal, but maybe we'll talk about that another time. Um, among players with at least 10,000 career minutes in the NBA, Kawhi Leonard is 11th in NBA history in career win shares per 48 minutes. Um, he is 11th in career box plus minus in career or playoff box plus minus for a career. And this, I, the minutes qualifier in this is a thousand instead of, uh, 10,000. He's 11th again, uh, career playoff box plus minus. And then in career playoff win shares per 48 minutes, the only players in NBA history who are ahead of Kawhi Leonard are Michael Jordan, George Mikan, and LeBron James. Um, the Raptors got not just one of the best players uh, in the NBA right now, as long as he's, I'll, I'll add the caveat that everybody's, everybody's been adding, as long as he's healthy and, and committed. Um, they got a guy who, to this point in his career, has been one of the most uh, effective and impactful players we've ever seen. And they added that to a team that, like you said, won 59 games last season. All this love for the Boston Celtics, I think, is warranted. Um, but I'm a little bit confused why so many people have seemingly stepped off the Toronto Raptors bandwagon. Because this team, I think, just got so much better. And it was already the best team, at least regular season-wise, in the East last season. He is a significant upgrade over DeMar DeRozan. And I think they're going to be uh, a potential juggernaut in the East. Yeah, it's it's kind of a no-brainer there. And you just look at all the different things he opens up for them is now their small ball lineup shouldn't really have as much trouble rebounding because he's a, a pretty good rebounder for a wing. Um, he does take a lot of the same shots that DeMar DeRozan did. They, they both feast on mid-rangers, but he's always hit them at a higher clip, essentially, than DeMar DeRozan. Uh, better catch-and-shoot player, obviously, from three. In 2016-2017 with San Antonio, he had the look and feel and makeup of someone who was hitting pull-up threes to kind of just add that uh, with Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Vliet, Dellen Wright, OG Ananobi, Danny Green, CJ Miles, just so much wing depth on this team. Pascal Siakam, not a wing, but has some nice portability on the, the defensive end. One of the things I think we do, though, is underestimate how long it might take for players in new situations. It was like when LeBron went to the Heat or when LeBron went back to the Cavs and they traded for Kevin Love and and had Kyrie, they might be, maybe they'll just be slow out the gate, but I think we need to prepare ourselves for kind of this more protracted of a learning curve than, than we're expecting. Defensively, though, I think because of Leonard, this team is going to be fantastic right away, and I would expect them to have a top five defense at the end of the year. And they didn't give up nothing for him. DeMar DeRozan's a good player, but you yeah. traded a fringe top 25, maybe top 30, top 35 player in the NBA and, and you got someone who at full strength is a, a top five guy. And that's what you need to win a championship or at least for this team when looking at the, the rest of its composition. So I don't even think there's a, there, there's a question there for them. What was their worst off season move, biggest loss or something you wish they did that they did not do? I'm going to go with Jakob Pertl. Um Obviously you make that trade. I think nine times out of 10, I think the one time you maybe consider uh, only having him for one year, I think that's the only reason you consider not making this deal. But I, I would make the deal regardless. But Jakob Pudel was really good for them 
last season. He was actually third on the team in wins above replacement player. Only Lowry and DeRozan had more. Uh, he was really strong off the bench, averaged 14 points, 10 rebounds, two and a half blocks per 75 team possessions. And he had a true shooting percentage of six Um, Just a really, really effective backup big. It'll be interesting to see how close Greg Monroe can come to replicating that. I, I think Monroe is probably a, I, not probably, I'm Monroe is a better passer than Puddle and so it'll be interesting to see if he can do that. And maybe they don't even need that traditional backup five as much now because Jonas Valanciunas looks like he might be filling that role. So um, regardless, he was he was a big part of that bench last season that was uh, statistically the strongest bench in the league. So he's a loss, but I say that with an asterisk because he helped bring back Kawhi Leonard. So it's, you know, it's not that big of a loss. My choice has to come with an asterisk then too because I picked DeMar DeRozan and it, the logic for me just kind of steps on the toes of what I was saying before of how <laughs> things could take longer to work out in Toronto than you want. And looking specifically at the, the minutes that Kawhi Leonard plays without Kyle Lowry, those all of a sudden became just guaranteed minutes from, from DeRozan last year without Lowry. The Raptors were plus 9.2 points per 100 possessions. Uh, when DeRozan played without Lowry. A lot of that did have to do with, yes, you have Fred Van Vliet um, in the lineup with him, sometimes Dellen Wright and Van Vliet at the, the same time, and, and that all is going to help. My my issue, though, is that Leonard, during the playoffs before he was injured, it kind of looked like he was going to make that leap as a passer. DeRozan has been there. He's fantastic facilitator out of the pick and roll. Um, he's He ranked in the 84th percentile of points scored per possession in the pick and roll last, uh, excuse me, in 2016-2017, and then he was almost in the 80th percentile again last year. He's become reliable in that sense, and so while you've acquired an upgrade with Kawhi Leonard, he's coming into a new situation, new teammates. It'll be interesting to see whether those lineups with him solo um, have at least as much chemistry or, or hum as easily as they did last season without DeRozan. And I know it's kind of ironic because I'm sure I'm one of the people who trounced him uh, for playing without Lowry and failing a bunch in years past. But last year, because of Toronto's depth, and of course, in large part because of the progress that DeRozan has continued to make, not just as a pick-and-roll scorer, but as a pick-and-roll facilitator, um, it's really helped bridge those, those that gap during during the regular season. Of course, the playoffs have at times been a different story, but they could end up feeling the loss of DeRozan offensively in certain minutes without Lowry, particularly early on. And what would be their most likely breakout player for you, Andy? I'm going to go with Pascal Siakam here. Uh, Spoiler, his, I'm going with him too. So whatever you say, <laughs> it just applies to me. This will be the last guy I cite per 75 possession numbers for, so savor it. Um, <laughs> as a rookie, he had a minus 1.1 box plus minus. It jumped all the way to plus 2.1 in his second season. And I think he's going to continue to climb and I think he's going to have a bigger role off the bench for them. I think he'll probably start some games too. It looks like Nick nurse might be open to sort of a um, morphing rotation. It just depending on who they face, he might switch up guys here and there over the course of the season. But this preseason Siakam averaged 17.6 points, 10.7 rebounds, 4.1 assists, 1.7 steals, 
per 75 possessions for the Raptors. Um, he's a guy. <laughs> I just did not see this coming from him, and maybe I didn't do enough research as he was entering the NBA, but he is so much better than I expected him to be. He's he's They have a bunch of sort of rising, I don't want to call them stars, uh, but rising really, really solid bench players on this team. There's Siakam, Van Vliet, DeLon Wright. The fact that they didn't have to dip too deep into that bench core to get Kawhi Leonard just makes this team all that much more scary for this upcoming season. I, I went with Siakam here out of all those other guys because he just seems to be on the steepest trajectory upward, but they are loaded still. 1 to 10, 1 to 11. Um, this team is really, really, really strong. Yeah, and... what I The things that have taken me off guard is one, his passing. He almost quintupled yeah. his assist rate last mm-hmm. year, which is just nuts for someone who's not. You can make those quick drop passes and those quick passes off of one dribble, but still, uh, assist rate, not, again, not insanely high, but it went from 2.9 as a rookie to 13.5 as a sophomore. And if you're going to get a reserve big man to average 3.4 assists per 36 minutes, that's a big deal. He also looks more comfortable than I thought just handling the ball in general. Uh, probably has to improve there. A little bit, and I don't remember if I saw this somewhere, but I think that was a focus of his offseason. Doesn't turn the ball over, though, at a particularly high clip. Uh, He shot a higher percentage off the dribble last year than I thought he would, 51.6% when using between three and six dribbles. Accounted for just over 13% of his shot opportunities, but again, that's something. It's more flexibility than a Serge Ibaka really gives you, even though they experimented more with him kind of using some dribbles last year and, and he was a little bit better there but where he has to give you those straight line drives I feel like Siakam's gonna have different angles to him and that could really open the door up uh, as a scorer even if he doesn't start hitting his threes which could be that next jump in his development if he comes close to hitting let's say 32 or 33 percent of his threes he's just a whole different type of offensive weapon especially if he can handle the ball off the dribble the other thing that I'm really interested to see though is how lineups fare when he is just the only big man. The Raptors were a plus 11.7 points per 100 possessions in the time he spent at center last year, but most of that time was logged beside Abaka. I think just because of the role he plays on defense, he gets classified as a center in those lineups more, which is a testament to his defensive versatility, by the way. But what happens when you don't have Valanciunas or Abaka on the floor? How is the rebounding going to be? I talk about how Kawhi Leonard should help um, from from that from that wing position, but what is it going to look like? And are we going, especially if this is going to be your closing lineups? Uh, how are you going to fare on the glass, offensively and defensively? That won't necessarily break that lineup. It's so, and I think we're all talking about the same one that that I I think we could see closing games with Siakam, Ananobi, Leonard, Green, um, and Lowry, and. But Or you could really throw any other wings in there. There's mix and matching with Dell and Wright that could go on as well. But if he's going to be your only big and going to start some games or close a bunch of games without a Baca around Tunis on the floor, let's see if the rebounding will kind of hold there. Because the Raptors were fine when he would play with a Baca, but the sample size just isn't there for him without a Baca to see what that's going to be like. But he's, he's better than people realize right now, and it, it wouldn't surprise me if he enters the most improved player conversation, that's how good I think uh, he can be. Yeah, that wouldn't shock me either. 
player most likely to be traded for them? I went with a similar reasoning here uh, as what I gave for the Sixers pick, and I'm going to go with Danny Green. He's on a $10 million expiring contract, which is just, I think, good salary matching fodder if you want to make a big move and pair him with one of your interesting young guys, um, like maybe DeLon Wright, uh, Fred Van Vliet, whose, whose contract is actually fairly decent now, too. Um, you can start to put together a pretty interesting offer just with Van Vliet and Danny Green. You're up near $20 million right there. But Danny Green seems like a guy who could be matched with a bunch of different young players or assets to be able to start working towards a big move. That's a good pick. I almost want to go with CJ Miles just because if you throw his deal onto someone's team, it might be a way of you uh, coming further or not being as deep in the tax. Excuse me, I can't talk this morning, but I just, I honestly don't even know who to pick on this team. I, I picked Norman Powell for the offseason as the player that maybe they'd most likely cut bait on if they were looking to trim their tax bill. He might still be an option. If he plays well, that could open up some team to acquiring him. I And as I said before, I think it could be Kawhi Leonard as well. If you get to midseason yeah. and the Raptors um, aren't playing as well as expected and he's still less than lukewarm on the prospect of returning, why don't you see what you can get for him as a, a half-season rental if you don't have to take back any long-term salary in the process? I like your pick. I think I'm going to be more inclined to go with CJ Miles, though, than uh, Danny Green. That is okay. Better defense or offense for this team? I almost feel like we can just flip a coin on this one. I, I think they have a chance to once again be top five in both. Uh, obviously, the bigger upgrade uh, in terms of Kawhi Leonard over DeMar DeRozan is on the defensive end. But I, I think people are underselling the kind of upgrade he can be offensively, too. You mentioned that he's been better from the mid-range, which is where DeRozan has kind of done most of his damage over the course of his career. But Kawhi can also hit threes um, and hit him at a pretty effective rate on pretty decent volume. So I think there's a chance they're better offensively, too. So I, I could go either way. I threw offense down in my notes, but I could easily see it being the defense because – like I said, this is a team that has top five potential on both ends of the court. Yeah, I, I'm going to go defense uh, and just by a hair. I'm with everything you just said. I, I don't even, it's basically just flipping a coin. But the defense is, maybe I'm just too intrigued by it because of all the different lineups they could run. And I'm, I'm wondering if Nick Nurse is serious about kind of shape shifting his starting lineups, I wonder if that could have an adverse impact on the offense for a little bit, whereas it might be easier to transition to defensively, yeah. but all their versatility to get the wing depth on this team. I, there's no team with the wing depth that uh, Toronto has. And so I could very easily see them being one of the three best defensive teams. And I certainly think they're a candidate for one of the one to three teams that we're going to have ranking the top five of both offensive and defensive efficiency this year. Playoffs and or the, not? Oh, go ahead. I was going to say in the switchability, you, you got into it. Um, but if they go, Danny Green, Kawhi Leonard, OG Ananobi, and Pascal Siakam two through five. Like that, that switchability and that uh, ability to guard all over the floor is is really interesting with lineups like that. Playoffs or not, I know that's a tough one for this team. <laughs> I'm going to go with a yes on this one, and I've I've 
been fairly confident all summer long in thinking that they're probably the number one seed in the East. Yeah, I, I, you sold me. I had the Celtics at first, at the beginning, near the beginning of the offseason. I've kind of come around to the Raptors finishing first. Their ceiling to me, and I don't know if you agree, is an NBA championship. And I know when these things come together in the first year, they don't typically result in that type of a success story. But I just look at this roster, and it's so hard to spot glaring weaknesses that are really going to come back to haunt them. And if they're going to finish first in the East, or if they're going to match up well with the Celtics, which I think they can do, they match up well with the Sixers too, they match up well with the Bucks. When you're ranking potential nuisances for the Golden State Warriors, I think the Raptors have to be first or second on that list. And the only other team I could really envision rivaling them or being better than them in that specific scenario would be the Celtics. Maybe you can make a case for the Rockets, but I think the Raptors very realistically on paper right now look like the the biggest threat or the biggest pest uh, to Golden State this year. Wow, I did not see that coming. Um, I don't think I can go quite that far. I, I think they can certainly make the NBA Finals. I can't. I don't think I can pick anybody to beat the Warriors. Um, I wouldn't pick them. Go ahead. But if you if you had to pick a team that was going to beat the Warriors in a seven game series this year, is my point. I don't know yeah, if I you're not going to pick the Raptors or the Celtics. I'm not. Maybe you could pick the Rockets. I would be if you told me I had to pick a team that was going to beat them. I would grapple over the Celtics or the Raptors. I would probably go Raptors at this point. And maybe I'm again falling victim to that on paper look because we've only seen it in action minimally for the preseason and these things do typically need a learning curve still I just it, this roster is well-rounded it's deep it's scary and the switchability we talked about Boston last year we'll talk about them this year but Toronto might be even more malleable on the defensive end than Boston now I was ready to dive headfirst into this take before last season um fully healthy do you take Kawhi Leonard or Kevin Durant? <laughs> I was I was on board with Kawhi Leonard is better than Kevin Durant. I think right after the 2016-17 season, maybe even a little bit before that. Um, obviously, last season kind of confuses this question for me. It's it's probably Durant now, but if if Leonard is his old self, I think there's an argument that he's better than Durant. Um, there is. Not, I might have still I taken think Durant. I was going to say, I just don't think they have enough to make up for everything else on the Warriors roster. I think right. Curry is maybe the greatest offensive player of all time. So that's a really tough <laughs> hump to get over. Um, but they they certainly have one of the scarier guys in the league in terms of uh, a matchup issue for the Warriors. That's it's that's still kind of a tough question if you want to assume Leonard's at full strength. I think I would still go Kevin Durant, but I'm not the least bit confident in that take. I, I think they're super close, uh, closer than maybe a lot of people realize. Are you ready to move into some year-end awards? Let's do it. Um, Rookie of the Year seems like a good place to start. I have a feeling I already know your pick. <laughs> I'm going with Luka. Luka Doncic. Um, 
Who's yours? I'm going to look up some numbers on him while you... Mine's Luka Doncic as well, and I would have been inclined to go elsewhere before the start of the preseason, but just seeing how involved he's been with the Mavericks offense, seeing kind of the chemistry they're trying to forge between him and Dennis Smith Jr., uh, it seems like they really are going to give him an opportunity to have the ball in his hands. And if he's going to have the ball in his hands, maybe, I, you know, people have talked about him maybe leading the Mavericks in scoring. I think once Barnes is healthy, or even when you look at Dennis Smith Jr., they're more likely to kind of do that. But he just might be this jack-of-all-trades superstar for them. And that's uh, just watching him. The, the shots that he's able to hit, a lot of people have talked about how low his release is. It doesn't really matter when he's... 6'8", um, and the time that he'll get on some of these wide-open looks, the way he's able to create off the balance for himself and for others. He's lived up so far, just being able to watch him more in the preseason in an NBA setting with NBA spacing. He's lived up to that hype thus far. And I'd have Trey Young as my runner-up. I threw in runner-ups for some of these, but uh, because I think he's won better than people expect and he'll have the opportunity in Atlanta. Uh, my Trey Young take, by the way, is there's a lot of I know Stephen Curry's the comparison, but when you look at the way he drives to the basket with just all like his body's going in all different directions, he reminds me of Kyrie Irving a little bit. Way huh. it's just just that I'm not talking about necessarily his shot, his release, um, or the way he's going to finish around the rim and how Kyrie can switch hands so easily. But he's just I see more just those twitchy movements in Young. I see more Kyrie than Curry there, just there. Anyway, digressing. I just think Luka is fantastic. And if the Mavericks are going to play him, he's going to win Rookie of the Year. And that's just where I'm at. So I lied. I am going to sort, I am going to cite more uh, per 75 possession numbers. Luka this preseason, 18 points, six rebounds, four assists for 75 team possessions, and a true shooting percentage of 62. Um, he's just going to be a really solid, well rounded playmaker for them. And he's he's been a little bit better from three than I thought he'd be. Um, obviously, super super small sample because it's just the preseason. But he's been great. I picked a runner up too. I think I think Trey Young's a good pick, and that would be super interesting for the sake of narrative if they were one and two in Rookie of the Year after being traded for each other. Um, they're going to be compared to each other a lot, at least for these first couple years. My runner up was DeAndre Ayton. Uh, he was an I, I think he was better in preseason than I thought he would be too. I think he's a guy. Given Phoenix's roster, who could get a ton of shots and a ton of rebounds and end up averaging like 16, 17 points, 10, 11 rebounds a game, uh, I think he's going to get pretty strong consideration too. Yeah, I think that's a. I just don't trust the Suns, but I don't think you can go wrong with the. <laughs> or should you? I don't think you can go wrong with the number one pick. Who's your most improved player? Uh, my wife, I asked her about this last night. She said JaVale McGee, which. <laughs> I thought it was actually kind of interesting because he's going to have to start for the Lakers. He's going to catch a ton of lobs from LeBron. Um, but I'm going to go with the Homer pick and say Dante Exum. I'm ready for the Dante Exum breakout to finally happen. Now, five years <laughs> into his uh, time in the league, the only players last season who scored more, more points per possession than Exum on the Jazz was Donovan Mitchell and Rodney Hood. Um, if he gets, if he gets say 25 minutes a game and a lot of those are going to have to come on the wing, I, I think he's a guy who could be, uh, a sneaky contender for this ward and maybe even six men of the year. Who's your runner up there? I went with JaVale. 
I'm going to go with Shelby on that one. All right. That's uh that is a take from you and Shelby. If he averages like mid 20 minutes, couldn't you see him averaging like 12 points, 9 rebounds a game? I Javale he's not going to get most improved player votes. And shooting like high 60% from the field and tons of eyes are going to be on the Lakers all season long. They're going to be a media darling this season because of LeBron. I, you are not talking me into JaVale McGee, <laughs> but I'm sorry. I've talked somebody into it. I guarantee you that. <laughs> um. Anyway, my pick. So I have Brandon Ingram, and it, it's he's probably become a cliche pick now. So I did pick a Laker. So Lakers fans get, can't get too bad. He was really good to finish the season last year. Um, over 25 games, he averaged 16 points, five rebounds, and 4.8 assists while canning 47.1% of his threes. Uh, a stretch in which he was largely used as the Lakers' offensive safety net because Lonzo Ball during that time was in and out of the lineup. I, I just, this isn't a matter of he has LeBron, his life gets easier, though I think that's part of it. I honestly just think he's this much of a monster and he's going to be very good. Uh, Zach Lowe said this on his podcast or a few podcasts ago that if you asked him the over under on all star appearances and set it at 2.5 for Brandon Ingram, he would take the over. And I think I would go there as well. And so there's some work that he really has to do, probably on the offensive end more than the defensive end, where he's more disruptive than people give him credit for now. Uh, he he can kind of stop short. And he's a, to me, he has a great feel for the game and can reach his spots, but there's a lot of time where he just bails out of plays. Um, too early, where he gets kind of tunnel vision and settles for these pull-ups when he might have someone open on the peripherals and in the corners. I don't know if that's really just a, a court vision thing for him, but he's going to be ridiculously good, and whether it's this year or next, but I, I think the leap is going to come this season. And my runner-up, I think you could guess, would be Torian Prince, who was just a monster for the Hawks to end the season last year. They, he showed that he can be that secondary pick-and-roll ball handler. He worked on his handling this offseason, he said publicly. And he's been – he shot the ball really well in the preseason. Torian Prince is shooting slash in the preseason, 55.9, 53.3, 87.5. Just four games, but that's someone who, with Trey Young and having someone like him setting up Prince and just – this. Just better spacing in general probably compared to last year, and a lot of that has to do with Dennis Schroeder not being there. I could, I could see Prince really just making uh, serious waves in the most improved player discussion. I have more numbers for you before we move on. Just your McGee numbers. <laughs> 19 points, 11 rebounds, 3 blocks for 36 minutes this preseason for JaVale McGee. I'm telling you, if he averages mid-20s, he will, he'll be close to a double-double. And I, they're, they're going to have so much attention this season. Um, and he's not my pick. I just don't think it's crazy. That's I'm willing I'm to put money on that developing he doesn't finish in the <laughs> top five of most improved player voting. I might even go top 10, top 15. I just don't – I don't <laughs> see the logic. It's fine that he has to have a bigger role in Los Angeles and maybe he'll be better. Most improved is – we're talking about leaps. Javelmick isn't making a leap this year. I can't wait. I cannot wait. <laughs> Who is your sixth man of the year? I went with Tyreek Evans on this one. I thought he might start for the Pacers, and maybe he still will, but he came off the bench for three out of the four games that he appeared in for the Pacers. Um, and if he's anywhere near the level he was in Memphis, he's going to be one of the very best bench players in the year, 
bench players in the league. Sorry. Um, high teens in points per game, probably around four or five rebounds and assists. And like we said, I think last episode or maybe the one before, he's just a legitimately good three-point shooter now. Um, so I, I think that was a huge pickup for the Pacers. He's going to do wonders for that second unit. And I was looking at uh, I was looking at ESPN's expert picks for all this stuff last night. One really interesting one for six men of the year. I don't know how realistic it is, uh, but Tim McMahon picked Dirk Nowitzki, which I thought would be an interesting way for him to close out his career. Um, and maybe because this is a, an award voted on by writers, if someone like Dirk averaged like 12 or 13 points off the bench and was a really important part of a team that uh, overachieves, I know that you're a little bit uh, more dubious on that than I am. Maybe he has a, an outside shot at this award, too. Well, you think the Mavericks are going to win 73 games. <laughs> they might be in the mid-30s. 74. So they're going to break the record. Uh, Tyreek Evans is my runner-up pick, and uh, you could probably talk me into him winning the award. My actual pick is Fred Van Vliet, and I've kind of been bullish on this since before Nick Nurse came out and said he wasn't going to have set starting lineups. So if there are going to be nights where Jonas Valanciunas is – coming off the bench, does that kind of impact Fred VanVleet's candidacy? Does the depth of wings influence that as well, where maybe is Toronto more inclined to go to Dellen Wright first or D- Danny Green, uh, excuse me, Dellen Wright first or, or how or OG Ananobi first, depending on who they're starting, or Danny Green first, depending on who they're starting. That could mess things up for him. But he was really good last year, works his ass off on the defensive end. Um, in the time Toronto played, Without Abaca, Lowry, Valanciunas, and DeRozan on the floor last year, and had Van Fleet in the game, they were plus ten point seven points per one hundred possessions. Uh, he was in a lot of their closing lineups. That could be something that might change this year, uh, or maybe maybe it doesn't because he's been so good next to Lowry at at different points. And if you're going to give him a real opportunity, and maybe he can't bank on being the first guy off the bench all the time, but that's almost arbitrary when you're looking at this award. If you can guarantee him a consistent role, given how good the Raptors are, are going to be and all the different things he can do as um, a shooter off the ball, uh, someone who can make the simple reads in the half court for, for his offense and just the work he's going to do on the defensive end, I think he's going to get a lot of sixth man of the year love. I also think, though, it's going to be an extreme. It's either going to be what I just said or he's going to sort of fly under the radar and he'll be that player, sort of like Andre Godala, where we look back and say, oh, yep. he definitely should have won a sixth man of the year award at some point. Yeah, and I, I think I picked Fred Van Vliet for rookie of the year at the end of this past season. Um, and I, I think his problem will be impact numbers and like catch all metrics are definitely going to support his case, but the voters just look at the guys who score the most, yeah, the, and- which could be tough for him. Which is why I could see myself pivoting to Tyreek Evans as well because yeah. of the opportunity. He should get a lot of run with the starters in Indianapolis. For sure. Defensive player of the year. I feel like we don't even need to do this one for you. <laughs> I'm going with the repeat. Uh, Rudy Gobert, to me, has been, uh, if not the most impactful. Um, he was certainly the most impactful defender for the last two seasons, I think. And I think you could make a case that it stretches back three or four seasons. I think that continues this year especially if he can manage to stay on the floor for 70-plus games. Um, they have a chance to have the best defense in the NBA, and he's obviously a huge reason for that. I'm going with, and I already have this 
prediction, prediction on the record too, which is perhaps why I'm sticking with it. I'm picking Draymond Green, and my logic is less than foolproof, much so. <laughs> Golden State fell out of the top 10 of points allowed per 100 possessions last season. They're not particularly likely to play hard during the regular season if if there's another phone-in job on the horizon or if that's overwhelmingly likely, Draymond Green isn't going to receive that love if the Warriors were that far away from being a top-five defensive team. That said, there's just something about this year and Draymond Green and the Warriors' future that makes me think we're going to see a little bit more from him looking at his effort overall. He was mad that he was second-team all-defense. Uh, we know that this could be Kevin Durant's last year with the Warriors. There's just been so much chatter there, and maybe that kind of compels Green and the rest of them to really make the most of this year. He's also just so good, and if he gives you even 75% of his effort, if the Warriors improve as a whole defensively, they could still be one of the league's two or three best defensive teams. And if Draymond Green is going to create this enemy, which he is the leading authority on the Warriors in creating these enemies, if if he's going to go against this perception that he was underrated last year somehow defensively, I could see him just being an, an absolute monster. The catch-22 is, not only do the Warriors not try during the regular season, which could hurt him, I'm wondering if having DeMarcus Cousins back eventually, looking at even some of the center options they have now with Kavon Looney and Jordan Bell, is that really going to kind of cap Draymond Green's defensive value because we won't see as many minutes with him as a small ball five. The Warriors also weren't good defensively in those minutes. When Green was at center last year, their defensive rating was almost 117. I'm just going to step out on the limb, though, because of what the league values most in its defense still. He really embodies it, and I, I think there's going to be a motivation, and if there's not, I think he'll create it to be a lot better on that end of the floor. Rudy Gobert is basically my 1B, and I fully recognize that he could probably repeat just as easily. If you were to tell me that, if you told me right now Golden State isn't going to finish in the top five of defensive efficiency, my pick would be Rudy Gobert. And I'm not sure I would come remotely close to picking anybody else, including Anthony Davis, who has kind of been a popular pick. But I, I worry a little bit about how New Orleans is going to defend with the way that it wants to play offense for an entire year this season. Yeah. My runner up, by the way, would probably be Kawhi. Because um, I think Toronto could have a really scary defense, too. It's weird that I didn't pick him and I'm so high on, on Toronto's defense. Probably says a lot about my yep. bottom shelf analysis. Yeah, <laughs> no, it doesn't. But he'll certainly be, I think he'll be in the conversation at some point. Uh, coach of the year. Uh, there's a few different guys I thought about with this one. Quinn Snyder would be the homer pick. Um, and I also think coach of the year a lot of times operates as a, it's it's this guy's turn sort of a thing. Uh-huh. And I, I feel like voters might get that feeling with Quinn Snyder just because he's done such a good job there the last two seasons. And if they keep that going, I think he'll certainly get a look. Mike Budenholzer was another name that I wrote down just because I, I think there could be a, I think there could be a pretty significant leap from Jason Kidd to him. And then obviously Brad Stevens is going to have to be in the conversation too. Um, I think the way that he got shut out last year was just crazy to me. Uh, he was ridiculous last season to take them, uh, where he did with all the injuries that Boston had to go through. And with very, I'm not going to say very little offensive talent, but kind of weird offensive talent at times, uh, last season, maybe that's a slight to Al Horford and Kyrie Irving when he was healthy, but 
he made a roster that should not have. I just looking back, don't think that team should have won as many games as it did. Um, and his coaching was a big part of that. I'm, I'm almost talking myself into Brad Stevens right now as we're recording, but I'm going to go with, uh, another Homer pick in Quinn Snyder. That's three jazz players, by the way, jazz people. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Most improved Dante Exum, defensive player of the year, Rudy Gobert, coach of the year, Quinn Snyder. It's all, it's all coming up. If Brad Stevens, is he your runner up pick? Um, Call it like a tie between Stevens and Budenholzer. I could see any of those three guys going. Um, th- this one's kind of hard for me to pick, this coach of the year. Quinn Snyder is my runner-up pick. My coach of the year pick is Greg Popovich. I am uh-huh. more convinced than ever following Leonard's departure, not saying it's going to be good for the team, but following the Lonnie Walker injury, the DeJounte Murray injury, now the Derek White injury. Yeah. I still think the Spurs are going to be right there in the playoff conversation. I know typically you need to be the coach of a fantastic team to win, but if these Spurs are right around where they were last year and they're going to make it to the playoffs and they're going to win 47, 48, 49 games, I could just see him being a shoe-in. And yeah. I, I'm I'm going to step out on, on that limb as well. If this, if this Spurs team, by the way, gets to 49, 50 wins, we should just put a lock on it. It's just... Yeah, that's probably true. And who's to say, maybe they'll bottom out, but I, I don't think they will. I have that much faith in Popovich, and I still think that they'll be uh, – th- I'm more concerned about their defense than their offense, uh, which maybe is probably where we should be at this point. I think they'll be able to find ways to create space with Aldridge and DeRozan at the same time. And if they're going to play as slow as they like and they're good at getting back in transition, maybe they'll be able to just settle themselves in defensively but um i'm i'm making bold predictions here for every team and you're just making bold jazz predictions so <laughs> there we go um i'm hoping they played demar Derozan at point guard by the way as you rattled off all those guard injuries that they have i think i texted you as soon as the white injury hit and i was like point guard demar Derozan at point guard lineups need to be religion in san antonio now yeah and it's, I, I don't think that's going to be that uncommon in a few years. Like, Devin Booker should be the point guard in Phoenix. James Harden was the point guard in Houston before Chris Paul got there. It's it's going to be like 6'6 six, six to 6'10 six, guys, one through four here pretty soon. Who's your executive of the year? <laughs> Dennis Lindsay, just joking. Uh, <laughs> I went with Masai Ujiri because I... I, I mean, I said this over and over while we were talking about the Raptors. I think they're going to be a juggernaut in the East. I think they could win 60 games. Um, and it's not just for getting Kawhi Leonard. I think he deserves some recognition for building such a ridiculous bench uh, over the last few years, too. He's put together a team that was – I talked about this a lot last season – um, they were almost like two different teams. There was a team that was built to compete now, and then there was this sort of budding core beneath them that even if they lost a couple of those main guys like Kyle Lowry or DeMar DeRozan, they would still probably be okay because they were just loaded on the bench, and all those guys on the bench were and, and are still young for the most part. Um, I, I think he's built just a really, really strong, deep team in the East. So I went Masai Ujiri. And then I think Rob Palinka slash Magic Johnson will probably get some some looks for this just because <laughs> when you add the best player in the world, uh, it's it's certainly going to do a lot for your team. So I think they'll get some attention, but my pick would be Masai Ujiri. My pick would be uh, Masai Ujiri as well. 
I would. Not, I, it's weird that the Lakers signed LeBron James, and I would not pick like a Polinka slash Johnson type deal. Just yeah, I don't think I would, but I I think they're going to get a lot of attention. They will. My runner up would be Sam Presti, just because of what he was able to do over the offseason. Yeah. You not only do you keep Paul George, but he doesn't take a meeting with the Lakers, and he announces his return to free agency, uh, return in free agency before it ever really officially begins at that Russell Westbrook party. You pick up Nerlens Noel, you get rid of Carmelo Anthony, uh, you you were able to re-sign Jeremy Grant. What really could define his case is how well the Dennis Schroeder acquisition works out. If that does work out and the Thunder are better or they look like a remote threat in the West once they're at full strength and Westbrook is healthy, uh, he might. Even, you could probably talk me into him being first. But Ujiri to me seems like he. It was. It's not. It's like you said. It's not just that he acquired Leonard. It's that he's been kind of building this bench for a while. You keep Van Fleet. Uh, you're able. Monroe was a nice pickup. Is just that sort of end of bench big man. And the, the Leonard thing itself. That's a risk that not a lot of organizations were willing to take, as we saw. And the, the Raptors put themselves in a position to take it, and, and they struck. So I, I I like your pick there, and I agree with it. All right, so who's your MVP pick? First, I want, I'm just going to get my explanation for it not being LeBron James out of the way. Um, he's going to be really good. He's going to change the Lakers this season. But I think they're going to finish in the in the bottom half of the Western Conference playoff picture, so like five through eight. And just traditionally, there's not a lot of MVPs on a team like that. Russell Westbrook just did it recently but he also had the phenomena of the averaging a triple double um my pick is going to be Yanni Antetokounmpo who I was uh laughed at for picking as my Milwaukee Bucks breakout a couple episodes back as you should have been but carry on (laughs) I think coach Bud is going to do wonders for his game their offense is going to be so much better I think he averages high 20s in points he averages, if not double figures and rebounds, close to that. And I think he could average six, seven assists. And they could finish top three in the East. So I think he's going to have a strong case. And my runner-up here uh, is Anthony Davis, just because if he's anywhere near the numbers he put up after DeMarcus Cousins went down last season, um, he's going to have a really strong case too. Talk about the lack of variance on this podcast. Both of my <laughs> picks were yours. Giannis Antetokounmpo for MVP, Anthony Davis for runner-up. The reason, to me, there's a chance that Davis finishes this year as the second or third best player in the NBA. I wouldn't pick him because I'm not confident in the Pelicans being good enough for him to win this award. And I think part of what goes into it, whether you want to get into the the win-loss politics or not, you do kind of have to base your prediction on who also has the best chance of winning. And Giannis's Bucks have a way better chance of finishing top three in the East than the that Davis's Pelicans have a finishing third yeah. in the Western Conference. And that's basically what did it for me. The other thing, though, is watching the way the Bucks played on offense this year during the preseason under Bud, it seems like their shot profile is going to not just change, but be drastically reinvented, essentially. And if you're going to give Giannis Antetokounmpo more space to work with, it's never going to matter if his jumper really comes along. And now all of a sudden with Ilyasova, we might be able to see more things from Giannis defensively when you pair them together in the front court at the four or five. Uh, just a- absolutely. I-, I think this team I'm higher on them than I was probably even 10 days ago. Uh, also they finished as a note first in offensive efficiency during the preseason. Take that 
for what it is because it's the preseason, but the Rockets were second, so just throw that out there. Giannis is going to have a monster year, and I think he has the right coach now to really unlock him and the play style around him that's going to really prop up his own output. And if the Bucks are going to contend for a 3-4, maybe even a 2-spot in the Eastern Conference, he would become a near shoo-in should they get that high. And then Davis is just, for all the reasons you said, Cousins is gone, monster after that injury last year. I would imagine he'll do something similar, if if not more, this year. And if the Pelicans do kind of surprise people and flirt with that 50-win mark, then maybe he becomes the odds-on favorite. Before I wrap it up, uh, one more Jazz Homer point. ESPN stats guy Micah Adams had uh, Donovan Mitchell as his MVP dark horse. I'll just leave it at that. Just wrap it uh, up, Andy. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, thanks, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of Hardwood Knox. If you want to gripe or uh, if you want to celebrate any of our takes from this podcast, you can find Dan at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E, on Twitter. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. The sponsor is at NBA underscore math. As always, we appreciate ratings, reviews, um, subscriptions. We appreciate when you share the show with your friends on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever they listen to podcasts. We sincerely appreciate those of you who tune in uh, each and every episode. It's still a little surreal to me that, that people do that. It's really awesome, and we appreciate that. And until next time, we leave you with a shout-out to Ben Udry and Kyle Anderson. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.